1: Hello, guys. Welcome. Welcome to our show. Today, we discuss about branding and marketing. We are going to unite strategy from marketing and branding because it's very important today to use both channels. And I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Paul. Sebastian, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Anatoly. Yeah. Big pleasure. I want to learn more about that because the last time I found uh, websites usually get much better results if they have strong brand recognition. Uh, That's why I usually tell all my clients, uh, don't pay a lot of attention to SEO if you have no branding strategy, if -hmm. you uh, don't consider multi-channel marketing approach. Uh, Paul, before we start, just tell more about your self-experience, background,
0: and uh,
1: why you decided to share with us about this important topic. Yeah. uh,
0: yeah, Look, I I have a kind of unusual background in the sense that I've straddled the sort of marketing and CMO area. Uh, for a long time, across a range of companies, startups, I've um, been through acquisitions to large companies, spent some time with large companies, and then back to startup again. Uh, but also been a you know a GM and a CEO as well. And I'm currently president at Real Vision, so I sort of straddled the you know the marketing leadership and then overall kind of business all up uh, leadership, owning a and um, area which I'm I'm also very very passionate about. Uh, I, I I love doing so. I love building and leading teams and and go to markets and um, I think at my core in my DNA my brain I do think like a marketer and uh, you know I love a passion about brand and value proposition and differentiation and all of that stuff and I I, I think that's still for me uh, whether I'm owning a PNL or not or in a specifically marketing role or not I think that these areas are still so. Uh, comparatively poorly understood. And I think also not utilized and leveraged enough uh, in companies large and small. And I I, I love, uh, you know, working with teams and with other marketers and uh, teams who are working on you go to markets to, you know, kind of help them figure out how to think about marketing, how to think about brand. All these things sort of have these connotations around the terms, but really, at the end of the day, they kind of come down to first principles and some very, very basic sort of human to human, uh, you know, communication factors. And so, um, uh, I love you know helping to provide clarity there. So yeah, so it's a good fit.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Um, I wanna start from strategy. You know, uh, sure. I check out a study that uh, most companies have no documented marketing strategy. They usually analyze competitors, find how they get traffic, sales, and do the same. (laughs) For me, it's a big mistake because competitors have their strong sides, owns unique selling proposition. So it's better to consider your customers and your strong side. So can you tell how to create the right marketing strategy?
0: Yeah. So the way I think about marketing strategy, it really marketing strategy should be really a natural extension of how you think about your overall proposition to the target customers you want to serve. Which I know sounds so obvious, but you'd be surprised how so many companies and teams try to skip that step and go directly into oh well we need to apply you know marketing strategy and they, th- and they start thinking in terms of of you know uh, all of the sort of uh, actions and the bustle that that one does when you think about, oh, we have to do our marketing now. And I think you know because there's so many examples out there and there's so many marketing tools in the market, tech stack these days that it's so easy to get caught up in the bustle and the tactics and the different approaches. and oh, should it be ABM, or you know versus is <laughs> this? or how important is SEO in this context? and and really, I, I, I think there's an important, very, very important fundamental step, which is, ultimately, it's your pillars work is what are you trying to do in this world as a company. Um, So uh, I I think it's so important before you start, start thinking about marketing strategy and tactics, it should be first about what is your unique raison d'etre in this world, right? What are you trying to, to provide in this world? How is it different? How is you know how is it differentiated? What unique pain or aspiration are you, are, are you solving? Really, you know, the four Ps, but even, even before the four Ps, right? And um, again, much of this sort of sounds obvious, but if, if you don't do a lot of really good hard work there, and that is the hardest work, by the way, to get those things right, and it can take a lot of iteration, um, you know, that you're, you, you build a marketing strategy on top of a very weak or non-existent foundation. And it's something that, you know, we, we still see again and again and again, especially with new companies, with young teams where uh, they just may not have experience around that and they just immediately think they need to get out uh, and, and think about strategy. So the, the marketing strategy, it's a means to an end to figure out how you're gonna actually communicate what is unique, different, pain-solving, et cetera, et cetera, uh, f- of your solution, your proposition to the world, um, to your target customers, and you know, defining who your target customers are, uh, including doing the research and actually talking to customers and figuring out who are those segments, who is your ICP, but even going further into personas areas where you don't have to map out all your personas, but you need to have a pretty good understanding from speaking to customers, you know, ideally in the real world. Or having some testing of that that need for for product market fit um, before you start applying tactics and strategy there, and so when you have that stuff solid, then marketing strategy is okay. Well, what is the shortest path from A to B to C to Z to reach those customers, and what are the most compelling propositions, mediums, uh, and, and and content and messaging, and you know just your your, your overall. You know, proposition to your customer um, that will resonate the most sharply. And of course, usually you don't know what that is until you do some testing. And so it is an extremely iterative process early on to figure out, is your thesis around your marketing strategy the, and the things that you will do in that strategy and the tactics, how well are they resonating and working? And you need that constant iterative 360 feedback loop in this early stage to figure out What's working and what's not working. And, you know what I've found working with companies and, and teams, uh, uh, especially across a number of different spaces, is usually your first assumptions uh, are, are well, they're they're often wrong, or you're or you're surprised. You're surprised that what you learn uh, your customers actually want uh, is very very different. You also learn some key things around how do they think about the problem. So. Again, something I see too many companies doing is they're so inside out in their thinking. They create a product that they have conceived and they foist their view on what pain that solved to the customer upon the customer as opposed to the other way around. And so there's so much of this sort of, of talking about your product and about you know, me, 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 my product, my solution, we'll do this, we'll do that. Um, uh, and it tur- it may turn out that your target customers don't even think about that problem in the same way that you were talking about it or that your product intends to solve it. They think about it differently. They may even use different words or have different feelings around it or sort of view the entire context of that solution in um, a different light than you're thinking about it. And, you know, if you don't listen to that feedback and really, you know, iterate on it, what you end up doing is you get this sort of a cognitive dissonance between you and your customer where you're like, hey, we're out there with you know, it's clearly a pain-solving solution. It certainly meets, checks, you know, checks these boxes, meets these needs. These customers have this pain and need this need. Why isn't it working? Oh, well, our, our marketing must suck or our, our sales must be poor. And it's like, no, it actually could be that you're you're not speaking their language. And so one of the topics that I, I, I like to speak about when I do my um, Alchemist uh, Accelerator Mentor Talks um, with with new companies is making sure you learn how to speak your customer's language, including the, the words, the, even the subtleties uh, around how they think about their problem and their pain and their need um, because that's gold to speak their language. And if you don't, if it's about me, 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 my solution, my product in sort of a top-down sort of foisted upon them uh, uh, way it, it it usually doesn't resonate, and again you see this again and again and again. You, you even see this in large companies still now uh, with existing product lines. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, explain. Yeah. A long reply. <laughs> love it. Love it. Okay, Paul. Uh, let's talk about branding. You know, it's interesting uh, when my son usually asks me uh, to buy a new. Uh, I don't know anything. Uh, for example, he doesn't ask me to buy sneakers. He asked me. To buy nike so because of sure, this exactly. brand so can you tell how to create the right branding strategy
0: <laughs> yeah i mean you know you could speak for hours about this and still never even scratch the surface um brand is probably one of the most misunderstood and i would say overly it's it's made to seem overly complicated um and and it has all this mystique around it because you somehow, when you think about brand and a brand guru who's really great at brand, somehow you start thinking of these people levitating on magic carpets um, <laughs> who are some brand theorists and brand gurus. And um, I think so much of that is just completely unnecessary. You know, brand is really simply the sum total of touch points of how your customer or your prospective customer experiences just every touch, every connection with something from your company, and that could be the obvious things. Of course, they go if they see your website, right? They see your marketing materials out there, your ads. Um, but of course, it's much, much, much more than that. And so many people think that brand is all of the deliberate things that they're doing as as a company, especially in marketing. Think well, our brand is X. Here's our brand bible, and it is these colors and these fonts, and we do talk about things this way. And so they think that they have a good handle on their brand that they've conceived and sort of put out a brand that they control um, out there in the world. And of course, if you look at the world's greatest brands, it goes far, 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 far deeper than that. And it's everything from certainly your experience using the product, how you feel, how it it actually touches uh, what I call your lizard brain, which is, you know, it bypasses your limbic system and it, it actually speaks to our primal uh, centers in our brain that are things around like taste, smell, color, aesthetics, hunger, uh, sexual drive, all those kinds of things. Uh, and it sounds a little crazy, but of course it's true. You know, why do, why do Apple's, you know, like iPhone pictures and screens often look lickable? Like you want to lick them, right? They're You know, these things are very, very powerful in our psychology and they touch something much more deeply than the sort of kind of over, uh, you know, contrived, um, obvious surface level things that we think of as brand. And so, again, if brand is just, a, you know, the, the the summation of all of the different touch points that someone has, they think about your company or they see a post from you or something like that, um, and it's the result of their particular unique experience with all of those touch points. So, for example, let's say that they have had some interaction with your salesperson. And that salesperson who they had a Zoom meeting with, for whatever reason, they really, really, really didn't like the mustache. It is terrible to say, but man, I just something about that mustache really bothered me. It's a terrible thing to say, but unfortunately, you know, we're human, and so we we, we react to aesthetics. We react to the subtle sort of unconscious things. And actually, you may think, you know, think well, this the salesperson was trying to sell me, I don't know, some sort of a SaaS solution, right? what would their mustache have to do with my considering that solution? Guess what? It actually does. Now I'm using a very sort of extreme example there, but it's true. Think about it. Think about your interactions with people from companies. the companies. The, 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 the sum total experience of how you view their brand is gonna be everything from what you see, for example, on their website, how you see their product, their product UI, for example, the language they use. Is there a lot of text kind of munged together The salesperson, did that person have this mustache that really just kind of bothered you? Or was the salesperson this wonderful person who you thought that she was just so compelling and you know what? You just kind of liked her. She just was so likable. And, you know, those things have a huge, huge, huge impact. Um, It goes even further. You know, it's like when you get an email from that person, how they signed it, right? All of those things all contribute to your sum total feeling about brand. And so what do you do about that, right? If you're trying to, to to control your brand? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to realize that your brand is not just the things that you contrive, that you put out there in the world that you think you can control. That's a starting point, and there are those obvious things. But to understand how your customers may be perceiving or not perceiving um, all of the rest of it, and, all of, and the rest of it, by the way, may be the more important things, uh, like because they touch your lizard brain, um, talking to customers you get a sense when you talk to a lot of different customers and actually getting a sense of how they view, you ask them, how do you view our brand? What do you think of, what are some of the words that, that come to mind um, when thinking of us? They won't almost be honest with you, but if you do this enough, you have a variety of conversations and, and you get, you know, cl- close uh, with some customers as well. And you can get into that tr- trusted place. It's a gold mine, what you can find out. So I think more and more, I mean, especially when you're starting trying to create your brand or shape your brand, just need to get out and talk to customers and let them help you. Ask them how they can help you maybe you know tweak or hone or improve some of the parts of your brand that you may not be thinking about or that are really detracting, for example, from their ability to want to um, attach with you. So I'll pause there. It's a long answer. There's a lot more to it. But again, you've got to think about the fact that you ultimately – you're communicating to humans. Humans are complex beings; we're psychological, we're moody, we're aesthetic, um, even at a subconscious level. And even if you think, "Well, oh, yeah, but I'm selling something completely, you know, intellectual, and it has well, have nothing to do with any of those things," wrong. It doesn't matter what you're selling, right? You're human, so that's brand is all of those things. And again, the world's greatest brands—they understand this. There's a feeling. Why do you think Nike? does such a great job of creating a feeling, right? And their ads, and they double down on portraying what feeling they want you to have when you think about their products. And they do this relentlessly at scale, spend billions of dollars over sustained periods of time. Apple, again, great example. You know, again, these great brands of the world, they really understand how to touch your uh, lizard brain. And certainly in the case of consumer, you have those obvious examples, but it's even true in B2B. You know, people think, oh, well, B2B, product sold to HR people uh, for example or say a Martech solution sold to marketers or some new AI solution you think that doesn't really involve brand. I mean come on it's AI it's an, you know it's it's, it's it's some new AI stack thing no 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 you're still selling to humans you know programmers and your you know your audience of uh, what you think are maybe very dry, cybersecurity people, for example, uh, or something like that, are human and they react to the same kinds of things. One last point on that, um, at a prior uh, role, when I was CMO at, at Offsec, you know, people, um, uh, it turns out, became such rabid fans of Kali Linux. Kali Linux, you know, is, is a leading, you know, cybersecurity um, open source stack basically for, for doing, you know, tooling and, 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 and apps and things like that in that space. And Cali was so organically was able to create this passionate, passionate group of just hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of, of people around the world who became so passionate about the the way that Cali was authentically trying to provide these incredible tools for that audience that it became cult-like. And brand- people started to tattoo the Cali Linux logo right on their bodies. And so at conferences and meetups, you would have actually people showing up there with Cali tattoos, right? That's pretty extreme that you're going to actually go and spend the time as a as a customer to tattoo that company's, you know, logo or product on your body. But that's the power of brand, and that's in cybersecurity tooling, right? You know, uh, so uh, it just shows you this applies everywhere.
1: Nice, nice. Love it. Love it. Okay, let's talk about the feeling that brands can uh, create. For example, uh, you remind me about Apple when I watch uh, a presentation about new Apple Watch. After that, I bought three pairs, you know, okay. for yeah. me, yeah, yeah. for my son, for my wife, because they probably kill me if I buy only <laughs> for myself. But anyway, I did it because of... Getting the feeling of owning this Apple Watch. Now, I watched the presentation. I didn't get any features. I didn't get any uh, uh, generic information that probably customers don't need. But I got the feeling this Apple Watch can decide my problems. Because Tim Cook shared three stories how uh, this Apple Watch uh, uh, has helped many different people. So after getting this... uh, Stories, I got it. I need it. I want to decide my problems. I want to simplify my life. So can you tell how to create the feeling of owning something?
0: Sure. Well, and that example is a great example because, again, uh, I think Apple is masterful at doing this. Uh, You know, when you're trying to sell tech products that have a lot of features and you're often competing, Feature for feature with other, you know, hardware tech. It's so easy to focus on featureitis, and we have this feature versus that feature, right? as uh, rather than to humanize them and to turn that into what does this do for you uh, on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, basically, right? So again, this is going to your lizard brain, to your core motivations in your life, and again, Apple with their watch, uh, it, it did a genius job of painting the picture of wouldn't I be more capable, powerful, healthier, if I had this, right? And it, it, it immediately removed, and, and those human stories, right? Exactly people like you experiencing those things and, and those benefits um, is so much more powerful. It completely changes the entire conversation away from, well, is there a VO2 max reading feature more capable than say the Garmin or something like that, right? Um, I happen to be a huge Apple Watch um, fan as well. I also wear the Aura Ring and the Whoop as well. I'm, I'm a complete quantified self-freak. So I mm-hmm. this space is, is, is very, very near and dear to me. Um, it, it, it's funny. You can see, though, how Apple, what they're trying to do is two things. One, they're not just doing a service level. Yes, you'll be more powerful, healthier with these features. They get very specific around use cases, right, and around if you had this, You'd have this accident detection. If I fall off my bike, it's, it's going to call my loved ones and and uh, you know you know help uh, right uh, etc. they they're very very specific in their real world human uh, examples and the kinds of examples that will be applicable to a very broad set uh, of people out there. And so it immediately humanizes that and it turns it into something that you as a human will care about regardless of the technology you could care less about it. Of course it doesn't you know it helps that they have beautiful presentation and packaging and 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 communication of all that as well. So it just makes it seem again it's so lickable your human it bypasses your rational logic centers where you know you don't need that watch. Like if you were just to look on paper and you were to stack rank do I need this and this feature and do I need it in this way um you'd probably say no this is a screaming nice to have. But inside Oh my god you want it right you know why when that iphone you know came out and and for a while for you know each one as it came out why were there lines of people outside you know the the store and when they got their iphone you saw pictures and videos people literally screaming walking out the store with holding up the box that i got one right you know you who who got that excited about consumer electronics in the past especially a phone, a phone yeah, you know, right? So it just shows you that these examples, so, so so to do that, right? so how do you do that? Well, again, the examples we see here are connecting it to human needs. Now, it depends what you're doing. So for example, if you're in a B2B context, you're like, well, look, I don't have a consumer example like this where I'm selling a watch, I'm trying to do that. I'm actually trying to compel my target customer who is a CFO or, or like the finance suite uh, to buy my new, whatever it is, uh, the measurement, software. Well, you still have to, and in fact, it's even more important to, to really sharply identify their pain points and their needs. So what exactly, what do they, what would they need your solution for specifically? What pain does it solve for them very, very specifically? And what pains does it solve that, isn't, that are not being solved well by other solutions there? And even if it's, it's, if it's close, right? If it's a little bit, yeah, you know, there's a bit of a nuance there, how can you work even harder to at least communicate what you do in a way that more sharply resonates with how they think about that pain? So again, this this goes back to knowing your customer and speaking their, their language. If you've spoken with enough of your target buyer, uh, say it's the CFO or VP of finance or something like that, you should know how they think about this pain. You should know what words they use. You should know how uh, severe, how acute... How that pain, for is, uh, that, that pain is for them. Um, when do they have that pain, right? So for example, when do they have this need? Is there a time of year when they're doing their budgeting cycle where it's particularly, you know, comparable? all of those data, you should have like probably a hundred different points around that ideally where you really know your target ICP, right? Who you are trying to sell to, what, what you can do to speak their language and resonate with their most important things. It has to be visceral. If it's too diffuse, if you're talking about it in your own way and about features, you know, they're hit every single day by, you know, a thousand other marketers trying to sell them stuff also based on features. So you really, really have to go out of your way to, again, this is, this is brand, right? Is when they think about considering your solution, the sum of every interaction they've had with you, how well you speak their language, right? The emails you send to them, right? The messages you've sent to them how you talk about it, how they view the PDFs or the landing pages or the website that you've sent them to to consider, all those things, Um, even how easy you make it for them to get on a call with you, all of those things are how they're going to in some total view your brand. Um, And what I've seen in B2B, uh, the the, the most powerful uh, solutions, they're able to kind of cross that chasm into the psychological, into your lizard brain. So there's something about what you do, right? That you're like, I just kind of want that. And sometimes that can be a matter of creating FOMO and groundswell. So basically doing the kinds of things with your marketing, your brand to basically clearly be on the right side of history, where companies are going. So for example, how you cite customer evidence, how you cite other logos you've just signed up, how you tout that, how you create videos around those customer stories so powerful, and if you can create enough of that sort of FOMO and like momentum perception, often you don't even need to compete on features, and you can be uh, even you know not as sharp on the other stuff because you've made it so clear that yeah we should just probably move to Airtable guys or whatever right or whatever it is or Slack you know back in the day you know Slack was a great example because at the time Slack had so much of that sort of perceived groundswell and momentum. So they were able to, you know, like new solutions that just come ripping into the enterprise, you know, kind of um, achieve that based on velocity and based on that everyone is kind of going this way. Um, and so, you know, that's another dimension to work on as well. It's harder to control and do, but you've got to use everything in your Quiver tools. So, yeah, I'd say those two areas.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, valuable. Love it, love it. Uh, Paul, I have the question about Customers. Uh, you uh, mentioned many times. Many times about customers, to learn customers, to understand customers, to understand their pain points, uh, many other insights. I lost track. Uh, I usually uh, count how many times you can pronounce something, but I lost track after 10 times. Well, so... I give you long <laughs> answers, so that was uh, my my bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm interested about how to learn customers you know like 12 years ago um uh, i set up uh, google ads and paid uh, and facebook ads uh, alone i didn't uh, hire any specialists in uh, paid marketing because cost per click was like 5 10 cents today i need to pay like 5 10 dollars 100 times more so today yeah. i can't uh, market <laughs> everyone yeah. and we know this quote like uh, if you uh Sell to anyone, you sell to no one because of the yes, level of competition. Right. So, right. can you tell how to create a buying persona? How do I know this buying persona is mine?
0: Do you mean, sorry, do you mean um, the target persona or or, uh, or, yeah. or your own company's persona? No, but
1: target persona or buying persona.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, you know, it, um, it's an iterative process, and it, again, mm-hmm. I think it starts with talking uh, to your customers. Um, I think it's uh, an underutilized uh, thing to do is to simply get on the phone with customers. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the, 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 the most effective people that I know that are starting companies now, there's one person in particular that I'm thinking of. He is masterful with spending time on the phone just talking with customers just learning about their problems, really better and more, more deeply understanding. And he spends all day doing this. Um, I think uh, recently on the um, My First Million podcast, I had I kind of stumbled across this episode, and one of the two guys, I think it was Sean, was talking about the fact that literally in his work day, you know, for his companies and, and for the things he's working on, he literally spends literally most of the day, at least the first half of the day, just talking to customers. He's like, I'm just on the phone. I'm just, just, and I do it in 15 minute blocks and I do 15 minute calls and I'm just on calls nonstop. I mean, I think that is just a great example of someone who really understands how to work backwards from the customer. And so when you're creating your, you know, your brand, your, 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 your persona and you're trying to understand who are your personas that you're going after and ultimately who is your ICP, you know, it, it really comes down to this sort of whittling away the sharpening of understanding of where the sort of you know the concentric circles are between the different customer archetypes that you speak to that you could serve in some total so so you have a wide range right there's a wide range of customers that you could serve it's a good thing to have but you need to identify the commonalities the, the points where across the different types of segments uh, of customers you have the common pain points and then further, there's a third dimension, a third axis, which is basically the sharpness, how visceral those pains are for them, right? And how your product can solve it. And, you know, in, in some cases, this is an iterative process where it should, it should feed back into your product. So you may need to adjust your product, adjust your features based on that. Um, and companies don't want to do this a lot of times. They're like, no, no, no. Our product roadmap is pretty set. We're kind of, we've got the roadmap for the next year. It, you know, we don't have time to go and, and you know, we're not going to go redo our roadmap now. We're committed. I've got, I've got commits from engineering or whatever, or, you know, my tech person is going to be overloaded. And they don't think deeply enough around, well, you're here to serve your customers and their needs. So your roadmap your, should definitely be aligned. It doesn't have to be dictated because that could be a dangerous trap as well to be dictated by your customer because they often don't know what they, they need. Right. Um, that's the classic sort of Henry Ford example and I would say with the iPhone as well, you didn't know that you needed that until you actually had it. But um, it should certainly be in sync with what your customer is expecting you to produce to solve their sharpest pains. Um, And so that iterative process of learning and testing with your customers and putting forth, hey, what if we did this? What if we offered this? And trying to sell, actually getting out there and saying, would you buy this? Or how important is this to you? As part of the iteration, that informs ultimately who your sharpest, most sort of resonant ICP is, right? And so to me, you know, and it's, it's always changing because as your customer, your target customer, you know, as their needs evolve and change and other competitors or solutions may change how they think about their pain, you can't just sort of do it once and forget it. It's probably, you probably need to adjust it as, re- as soon as like every few months, because now things are changing so fast where, for example, they may have had a pain around something or a need. It's suddenly solved by some solution that is part of a different suite or solution that they got for something else, right? So you see this again and again and again, that you can sort of be displaced or disrupted out of places that you didn't expect to be, right? But it, it does happen. So you got to be constantly kind of ear to the ground, getting that feedback from them, and shaping and refining your persona and then basically playing back to them right um yeah and that's how you do it
1: nice nice awesome awesome
0: okay paul
1: i have the question about uh common mistakes uh, you know in my life i made a lot of mistakes i keep doing them you
0: know? uh, like what every day <laughs>
1: yeah but uh i love that's how you learning learn. from my mistakes yeah uh, it's for me it's hard to call them mistakes because i don't know how to get this knowledge without doing these mistakes you know absolutely like it's absolutely it's part that's of how you the, learn the process yeah, yeah. can yeah. you list common mistakes that companies still do in marketing and branding and uh how to find a much better way
0: yeah you know um at the risk of being redundant uh I I think it, you know, I see again and again, uh, and this is, it really pains me to see it so often, big companies and small companies. It's sort of like uh, this, this idea that they're creating a product or solution for the world, and they're talking about their product and their solution in terms that really only they understand because they created it and they have a view of the world around why their approach to solving it should be the right way for the customer without really involving the customer in that process or validating that there is indeed a good fit there. So you're not speaking their language like we talked about. That whole bucket, I think is, is still one of the biggest, um, things that I see. You even see large companies like Meta, you know, doing this right. Yeah. Um, I won't go into it now, but the, their go to market around VR, um, and the 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 quest and all of that uh, to me is you know will later on be a case study in um, in that I mean it's it's a little bit special case because they are trying to sort of show you something that you didn't know you needed but there are other reasons why I think that it is just the way in particular that the quest uh, and that you know the the VR uh, solution um, and sort of uh, delight has been you know, brought to market and communicated and marketed just really, 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 really misses what would otherwise be still a very, very large opportunity even now. And as a result, actually, I think has really, really hurt the prospects for VR in particular uh, near-term, certainly you know, as a result. So you know, talking about your product and talking about features and capabilities is something that you still see way too often. Uh, whether it's that case, you know, with with, with Meta or with other uh, examples where you're out there saying our product does X, Y, and Z, and you should care because of of these things and these features should speak for themselves, and we have better features than this kind of thing, um, you know, that sort of it just it's really inside out thinking, right? And uh, and I would say um, more broadly, when companies come up with roadmaps. And sort of broader solutions for how they're going to go to market with something, the, like the range of products, sort of spinoff products, side products, things like that around it. Oftentimes, again, it's so it can be so internally uh, conceived and driven that again it ends up being kind of foisted upon the world, and then they're surprised why it doesn't resonate right with their targets, or it's just it's not selling, and they they start to grasp at straws. They say, well, it must be our marketing; it must suck. We need better marketing, right? And we need better sales. And it's like, well, yes, you, you, you may be right, but you may be completely gimping your marketing and sales and their ability because the core foundation, the core principles behind it, the what pain does it solve, what delight, um, how do you understand your, your customer's needs, um, all the way through to the execution of that in marketing, marketing strategy and tactics, uh, all the way through to sales, all the way through to that end point is flawed from the, from the, the, the first principles level. Uh, and so, and you know, the good news though, is that it's really solvable. So, you know, I've seen again and again, I've done this certainly myself in companies when, you know, companies need not really turnaround, but they are finding that something needs to kind of get to the next level and they're kind of roadblocked. They've hit a a local max, right? So they've hit like a local maximum around how far, uh, a sort of product has gone, and they've got to scale to that that, that next level. Sometimes you see this at like that sort of ten million ARR level, and they want to get to thirty. They want to thirty to seventy, and then seventy to you know, you know, uh, past one hundred, you know, beyond. Um, those different stages often require tweaking or some adjusting at the first principles level, and it's counterintuitive because you think, well, wait a minute, we've got product market fit with this, so. So it must be a matter of we need to simply you know, apply more sprinkle, more cash, more salespeople, more marketing, dollars but actually what you find, I've certainly found firsthand that no, that's actually not the case, that there is some, some intrinsic sort of self-limiting um, uh, attributes inherently at the core of the principles of what pain, what hill, uh, you know, all of the sort of four Ps and even deeper that needs tweaking. And you can ch- you can change those things. So you can actually get sharp about that things and say, ah, we've got to be very deliberate about what unique hill we own. And here's how we're gonna change as part of that. Or, hey, the world's changed. It's changed even in six months. Wow, okay, let's change how we talk about X, Y, and Z, pain or aspiration, right? And those shifts at that fundamental level, really at, at, at even the, the core messaging level, um, when then manifested through all of your different touch points, right? And done it and done at scale, done you know, done relentlessly over and over again. I mean, I, I personally have seen unbelievable step change, like step function change level growth as a result of tweaking those core things. And it's hard to believe because you think, oh, well, no, we just need to add another tool to our stack, or hey, what if we use this other service that's gonna suddenly unlock our sales? Usually that stuff doesn't happen. Usually you get very incremental gains around those kinds of things um, at best. And again, I thought the biggest games come from, you know, the biggest fundamental sort of the, the sort of tectonic plate level shifting. Um, so that's what I would mm-hmm. say. I think that's that's one of the biggest things uh, that companies large and small, including brand new companies, right, who are just kind of starting and getting going. They think they've got some product market fit somewhere, but they're having some friction um, to really go back and get a little sharper about your four Ps, about your core proposition of the world and how you can make it sharper and more unique. And then how, how you can articulate what, those things to be more sharp and, you know, you know, uh, st- uh, you know stand out more and uh, and then test it with a customer, right? So validate it. It's not just, okay, I've done that step, I've done that work, and I'm mm-hmm. done. No, 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 no. Go validate that. Go get on the phone with some customers, right? You know, don't hide behind email and stuff like that and your and your email metrics and your uh, you know your social metrics and say was something working no get out there and have some human human level conversations get I, I think all those things are are underutilized. If more people did what I just described, um, I think you'd see a whole lot of, of unlocks that otherwise wouldn't happen if they're just trying to solve things the other way. Yeah. You know? So
1: nice nice awesome love it love it. So valuable Paul, I have the final question about uh, your company, Real Vision. Can mm-hmm. you tell your unique selling proposition, you know, because you share a lot about learning customers, about yeah. uh, how to to know them. So your unique selling proposition and who who is your target uh, customer?
0: <laughs> Good question. Well, thankfully, I'm not the CMO at Real Vision. So I, you know, I get a big, big haul pass and, uh, and I get to say, no, I'm actually the, uh, I'm the operator, uh, guy. Now yeah. you know, That role actually now. I, I mean, look, uh, <clears throat> I've been at real vision about six months. Um, you know, uh, from, from, from my perception and again, I'm not the CMO, so I'm not going to actually do the official spiel. Um, uh, I, I think real vision, uh, solves a, a truly missing layer in how everyday, consumers, people you know, out there in the world. Um, and I think particularly on the younger side can become educated about finance, including things like crypto. And uniquely, you know, like you, you have this whole set of finance platforms, all the you know, kind of old world uh, traditional ways of learning about you know finance and macro and, and micro, then you've got the crypto stuff. And I think Real Vision uniquely is able to actually bridge those two worlds, you know, sort of the future of finance and traditional finance into one incredibly digestible and frankly entertaining and compelling um, set of, uh, of media that people can learn the things that really, really matter to them to understand how modern finance works and how to maybe get an edge on investing how to learn about these things that you may see, you you don't quite understand, but if you learn about them, you would have a bit more of an edge. Um, And I think that also veers into, honestly, sort of finance-related entertainment in some ways as well, where you simply want to geek out and learn about how these big, you know, things happening in the world, whether shortages of water or how technology will be soon disrupting uh, certain segments. You know, Real Vision is uniquely capable of providing compelling kind of edutainment if you will uh around those areas and um you know by by doing this now for a number of years i think they have uh they've done a great job of you know of developing a very passionate community around this people actually love real vision a bit like the cali you know example i mentioned earlier people love real Vision; they're just obsessed it's like real vision oh my god i'm a huge fan now certainly Mm -hmm. people like Raul pal our ceo and founder um are a huge part of that right uh, people love raul right he he is he's impossible not to love uh, and he's so he's just incredibly um, really what you see is what you get he's this incredibly articulate passionate person who you just you you listen to him speak about finance whether it's crypto or Tradify or macro and you know it just it just makes sense and you find yourself inspired and you want to learn more so i think raul's assembled you know a great team around him and really a great kind of content network of people around that all create this kind of content under the sort of a real vision ethos that is especially relevant, I think, and, and resonant for younger people out there. Um, and so as a result, it solves kind of a, a, a pain you didn't know you you had, but when you experience it, you want more of it. And, um, and I think that's really been the core of it. Now, I'd say there's some specific things that are changing there. So we're actually in the process of of actually, you know, kind of reinventing the revision platform, and it's going to you know, soon have a whole lot more layers and things that that go far beyond sort of like just you know online learning, right? Which is really where where it plays now, um, and so that's that's very exciting. There's a lot of things coming there, and so I think the value prop will actually change and will evolve. And so you know, as an example uh, from our, our conversation, one of the things we're doing is really talking to customers, and we do and we're doing this quite at length. And we're really trying to understand what do they need? What do they want? What do they care about? And, you know, where are they confused? What are some opportunities that, where they're not served by other, you know, finance-related platforms, uh, whether it's learning or tools or, you know, whatever. And, you know, we find there's just so much opportunity out there where, honestly, these customers are just underserved. And, um, you know, we see some real evergreen space to go after that. So I think what you'll find is that, the proposition is, is, you know, will rapidly evolve and change. But how we're doing it is very, very much by working closely with customers and being incredibly data-driven and insight-driven um, around what their needs are and how we could create something very, very unique that has a unique hill, solves a very sharp pain or or delight um, that others just can't solve. And that's how we're trying to kind of iterate to our new value prop um, in progress
1: nice nice love it love it it's it's very important by the way because i know how people made a lot of mistakes for example i made <clears throat> mistakes but you know when you make this mis- yeah. <laughs> when you make these mistakes in crypto oh, you can lose a lot yeah. of money yeah, yeah. Uh, once yeah. i spoke with uh stefan spencer uh mm-hmm. he's famous in marketing and he told him yeah. in podcast that he lost eight figures in crypto trading, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's unfortunately, has
0: had, you know, there's a lot of taint uh, right now, certainly, on uh, crypto, and there was a lot of very unfortunate timing of things happening from that, you know, the market got very frothy and then sort of crashed. And then you had the whole SPF thing happen and you had started, you know, more and more. Finally, there is some government scrutiny, which is actually a very, very good thing uh, and, you know, upcoming regulation. And so it's uh, it's it's been quite a year for crypto. Again, fortunately, Real Vision is actually not crypto. It's, a, it, it, it's ultimately an education platform, really. It's, it, yeah. it is online learning at its core. Um, and it happens to be, you know, there is some great crypto related education on there, right? And the mm-hmm. crypto community really loves Real Vision because it has uniquely been out there as a resource, people in crypto helping people to better understand what the risks and opportunities are out there, um, as well as, you know, traditional finance and you just didn't find that elsewhere, right? You had sort of the crypto crowd here and the traditional crowd here, and you had nothing sort of in the middle kind of connecting the dots for people. And so again, there are two, I think the crypto community I've, I've seen firsthand are, they're very grateful to Real Vision for, you know, kind of trying to shine a light on this and, and help educate people so that it isn't just uh, uh, a world of sort of dark, mysterious, you know, rug pulls and, fraud and all kinds of stuff like that too unfortunately it still has all of that taint around it and probably will for for some time so yeah it's a tough time for uh for crypto
1: nice nice okay guys it's better to learn before making any financial decisions so you can uh open reach real vision to learn more about (laughs) crypto about finance because i know how it's painful to lose hard earned money when you spend so much time to earn them, and you can lose
0: it's better to uh invest in the right way. <laughs> well, it's a yeah, big question, we should be clear yeah. like any finance, you know, education, blogging, content media company, mm-hmm. there are no guarantees, there's no promise, there's no you know, this is purely to be taken at your own risk, and all of the caveats that go into that it's not financial advice. Right, so uh, that's very, that's very important. I mean, even if you hear something from you know someone incredibly experienced like Raul Pal, right? Um, like anything you read or hear online by anybody, uh, n- no one knows. Nobody, no one has a, a crystal no. ball. So invest at <laughs> your own risk, and you know, uh, consult your your uh, best professionals on that stuff. Um, and that's that's very very important. I think people need to realize that um, you. Have to be really your own advocate and take any inputs, whether it's from real vision or anything, and and take it all with a grain of salt and realize that no one can predict the markets. Um, you know, yeah. so
1: that's. By the way, if, if I have a crystal ball, I uh, prefer to buy lottery ticket. You know, <laughs> uh, for two dollars, you know, to get a, a billion dollars. <laughs> Why I need to play with crypto? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. Exactly. Yeah, Paul. Uh, it's a big pleasure to get in my show, Thank to you. learn from you. Tell our audience the best way how to learn more about you, how to follow you, how, how to reach out
0: to you. Sure. Yeah. I'm I'm certainly on on LinkedIn. I'm just, uh, you know, LinkedIn, whatever the slash in slash Paul Sebastian, uh, it's i uh, I'm also on Twitter, just at Paul Sebastian um, as well. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, I'm happy to reach out, happy to connect. to talk about these these topics um i really enjoy you know uh doing the sort of mentoring work and you know working with uh companies that that uh, i've done now for many years actually uh at the likes of alchemist accelerator um you know it's really really fun talking with new companies and kind of helping young people young entrepreneurs think about marketing and go to market and all that stuff because again it's just it all seems so scary and I love to basically take the wind out of the sails of all the scariness and uh, really try to demystify it because marketing and brand have just too much of all of this, this, this sort of perceived complexity and load around it that uh, is so unnecessary and actually damaging uh, when in in reality, an understanding, frankly, of psychology, uh, a brain, how the brain works, actually, right. Uh, and I would say even philosophy uh, I found to be very, very helpful. If you have a deep understanding of those areas, you will have such an edge over someone who maybe has been a rote marketer and come up through like an agency maybe or done marketing roles and only sort of seen marketing through the lens of a specific function you know, in, in companies. I, I, I know that's a controversial statement. But um, after doing this a long time, I think it's really, really true. I've learned more from philosophy, actually reading philosophy Mm -hmm. and studying the brain uh, and learning about psychology and things like CBT, uh, you know, than I have really from, uh, you know, I would say sort of rote marketing uh, tactics standpoint, because those things are always changing. They're ephemeral, right? So don't get caught up in tactics. Don't get caught up in the latest MarTech stack solution thinking that you'll find a panacea there. Um, don't overthink brand and think that you need to do some heavy engineering thing or pay some company, you know, a zillion dollars to sort of solve your brand problem, right? Think for yourself, think about human psychology, what you're in the world to do that is unique, it's pain-solving or aspirational. How are you are gonna reach those people and compel them and do it in a way that is simply more powerful, you know, than others. It's really just that simple. So. That's my my parting wisdom uh, for this uh, session.
1: Awesome, awesome, so valuable. Okay, guys, you can find the links to uh, Paul' LinkedIn account in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Love Great. all your valuable insights.
0: Quick plug for yeah. you. Uh, I actually think that your SEO course is fantastic. So I'm going to plug your SEO course right now for you. Oh, thank I think you. all the work that you've done, not just your course, but like the work that you've done around SEO and all of the, the things you've done in the past, you're looking through your, um, it is really, really, really insightful and, and valuable. People don't appreciate SEO uh, enough now. They get distracted by other things. SEO is incredibly important and it's changing a lot, right? As you would know. So yeah, again, I think I really, really kudos to you for doing a great job uh there and kind of helping people understand that
1: by the way you know it's interesting because uh you mentioned you that you are uh, an operator me too you know yeah. because yeah right exactly uh, exactly <laughs> on yeah, this course having, uh yeah yeah go ahead
0: no no i was gonna say I, I think having that lens is very useful um if i only come up through sort of marketing roles i think i would think about marketing differently and i think i would be pretty limited uh, but when you own a PL and l and you understand how you have to drive a business to an end result, and marketing becomes actually just simply one of the tools in your quiver of tools as a means to get to that end goal, you really think about marketing differently. And actually, you can have a lot of respect for CEOs and for GMs and mm-hmm. people who actually have to achieve a, a business goal. So when they get frustrated with you as a marketer, you really can understand where they're coming from. Because, you know, again, marketing... Is, is really is one, one of the tools in the quiver of tools. And so if you can actually get some experience operating something, running something, owning a PL, and um, and stepping outside of just pure marketing, it's a little bit like waking up from the matrix, right? So it is a little bit like that moment in meditation where you're able to zoom out and view your thoughts as opposed to being caught up inside your thoughts, right? So um, it, it's really, really, really powerful. I'd encourage people, even if they're sort of, you know, mid-career or you know, in some early marketing role or something like that. Um, even if you could do something on your own, your own little side business or something like that, even something incredibly simple, to to, to have to wear that hat about you know, being responsible for the all-up business result is really really invaluable and i think that the way that you'll view marketing will change as a result and you'll be able to go oh god i get it i oh, ah. and 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 that'll help you not to get caught up in the bustle you know the the tactics the well i'm doing my marketing job i'm doing all these tactics every single day and I must be doing good marketing, right? It's like people really don't know how to zoom out and and take that sort of again, that bird's eye perspective view. But again, I, I, I really liken it to to meditation when you're able to finally get to that place where you can step outside yourself and you see yourself in your thoughts objectively, and you're like, oh, that's actually I'm not in those thoughts. I'm actually seeing all these different things happening objectively, and I can then make truly informed decisions about what i want to use or not use for those things so um yeah nice nice
1: Armchair nice. Love it. <laughs> nice okay guys you can uh, you learn know. more about <clears throat> paul uh on linkedin please follow him because you can see a lot of valuable insights okay guys love you see you
0: thanks for listening to this entire podcast Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.